Father, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be together, to come corporately and, and worship you. You're so kind and so merciful, and uh, your love has been clearly demonstrated in having sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. We thank you for the truth that you've revealed in your word concerning Christ, and we thank you that you use your word to grow us in respect to salvation. And I pray uh, that would happen today, that you would use it mightily in our hearts, that we might become more and more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the reality is, if you're a true believer, at some time or another, we're going to suffer for following Jesus Christ. We're going to suffer for doing what is right. And this suffering may come as you obey the Lord in your work, uh, uh, you may have people persecuting you. Suffering may come at home as you obey the Lord within your family circumstances. Those who don't know the Lord may persecute you. Suffering may come uh, in the context of the church when you do what is right and there are those who would turn against you in that. You know, the reality is if you're a Christian, if you're a true believer, you're probably going to be maligned or suffer at some time for following and doing what is right, following Jesus and doing what is right. Suffering for Jesus is a reality for this temporal life as a believer. Now, sometimes uh, this suffering can come along and blindside us in such a way that we weren't expecting it, in a manner that we were just caught off guard. And it's in those times that we could be tempted to respond wrongly or, or, to, or to react wrongly. So with this in mind, we come to the end of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and we're going to see today how we are to respond to suffering for obeying Jesus. And more specifically, we're going to see the blessed proving of our faith. Now, again, the context of 1 Peter uh, is we've gone through this book and we're almost done. Peter is writing Believers in Asia Minor. It's about 64 AD. They are very close to uh, the physical persecution that Nero would bring upon the church uh, within a couple months. And within this, we've seen that we are temporary sojourners, that this, this place is not our home, that uh, we are living here as temporary residents on our way to heaven. And within that, uh, Peter has revealed the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, and that we are to rejoice in spite of the difficulties, knowing what God is doing through Christ in the context of our great salvation and we are to fix our hope alone on Christ. We are to live holy because he is holy. And we are to live in the context of godly fear and, and love the body because we've been born again unto that. Because the Lord God is building up this spiritual house. And within that, we are to yearn for the pure milk of the word. And within that, we are seen now as, and we are, his distinct people those who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we may proclaim his excellencies. And then we saw the application portion of this book, the application portion of this book where we saw that we were to keep far or stay away from fleshly lusts which wage war with our soul. We know that, right? When we yield to those things, there's a war that goes on inside, and we are to stay far away from those things and we are to keep our behavior excellent among Gentiles or non-believers. So as they observe our good deeds in Christ, as they slander us, they might glorify God in the day of visitation. The reality that God is working behind the scenes concerning uh, those who don't know him, using our Christ-like responses to, to be a venue that people might be shamed about their sinful behavior and turn to Christ and be saved. Uh, we know that we are to behave properly around the governing authorities. We are to behave properly uh, around those uh, situations that involve submission, as exemplified by the slave-master situation, that God's eye is upon those who are trusting him. His ear is attentive to their, to their prayer. His, his favor is upon those who are, who are suffering, but suffering for doing what is right and responding rightly. We saw in... Uh, the end of chapter 2, that we were called for this purpose. We were called to follow in the footsteps of Christ, Jesus Christ, who through unjust suffering brought about our redemption, uh, didn't respond, didn't revile and return. He uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And from that, God brought about our redemption. 
And so too in, in ordered relationships where we might suffer in ordered situations, such as even the husband and wife. Wives are to be submissive. They're to, to win their non-believing husbands without a word, with that gentle and quiet spirit. Husbands are to live in an understanding way. And we all are to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. Uh, we're not to be... Uh, we're not to we're to be tender towards one another knowing that uh, god is towards those who are trusting him his his ear is towards the righteous and his eye is attentive on them and we are not to as we saw in chapter three be intimidated by those who are persecuting us but instead we are to do what is right we are to set apart christ in as lord in our hearts being ready to give an account for the hope that we have yet with gentleness and and reverence we are to uh, do what is right in the context of those who might be uh, persecuting us and again we saw in the end of chapter three that it is through the persecution that jesus went through that we have our salvation god used the worst evil that man brought upon christ in his overall plan to bring about our redemption in christ jesus then in chapter 4, we saw that we are to arm ourselves with the same purpose in the midst of suffering. We're to be thinking the same way Christ uh, thought. We're to have Christ-like mindset. We're to recognize we no longer live the way we used to live. We don't live that way continually, habitually. And those who do are going to malign us. But the judge is right at the door. He's standing right there. There's judgment for those who reject Christ. And within that, we saw the end of all things is at hand. So we should get our thinking right so that we can pray and we should be fervently loving one another. And then as we've seen in the last few weeks, we should be serving one another with the strength that God supplies. And if we have speaking gifts, sharing his word for his glory. So with that in mind, we come to our passage today in which I believe we're going to see how we can uh, endure and also respond rightly to those circumstances that might come upon us that could tempt to blindside us in a situation. Uh, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. We stop there, we go, oh boy, I don't want to hear that, right? Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a Christian, excuse me, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Seems like there's a lot of scripture there, but as I studied it, this whole portion is one piece of uh, thought, and we need to see it together. And so, Lord willing, we'll look at this whole portion today. Um, I believe we're going to see a flow of thought in this passage that helps us understand specifically how we are to respond to uh, suffering when it comes upon us, when it might even blindside us. You know, some of you might be familiar with the term sneaker wave, and, and every few years on Oregon and Washington, there are people who get hit by a wave and get sucked out. Some are killed. It all of a sudden, something they didn't expect happens and hits them, and they are taken out, they drown, or whatever it might be. It's a horrible thing. But it's something unexpected, and it takes them by surprise. And the reality is sometimes suffering for us as Christians can blindside us. It can take us by surprise and we need to be prepared biblically in our relationship with christ to respond rightly so that god is glorified and we are not shaken in the faith so how are we to respond when suffering comes upon us well first of all we are to keep on rejoicing rather than being surprised look at verse uh, 12 beloved do not be surprised 
at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Peter says, beloved here, it is a term of endearment. It is a term of love between brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter is talking to these believers and and makes it clear they are the beloved. They are in Christ. He shared this same term earlier in chapter 2, verse 11, when he began the application portion of the section. Now he shares it towards the end where we are coming to a close in the book. And we're going to see today that... uh, This portion that we're looking at today really reflects quite a bit of what we see in chapter 1 concerning the reality of suffering and then the glories to follow and where our heart should be. We're not to be surprised at what's coming, but we're to respond with rejoicing as we'll see. Now before we look at it in depth, I want to point out some structure in this passage. This, this passage is littered, not littered in a bad way, but in a good way, with, with commands. With commands, there are commands throughout this passage. When God commands us, he is telling us to do something. Verse 12, do not be surprised. It's a command. Middle of verse 13, keep on rejoicing. Uh, Verse 15, do not suffer as, okay? Um, Verse 16, let him not feel ashamed or do not be ashamed. It's really a command. Verse 16, uh, let him glorify God. And then at the end, verse 19, entrust their souls it's a command this uh, passage has has no less than six commands in it for us as believers and so we need to recognize god is telling us what we are to do in the midst of these situations when they come we are not left in the dark so he begins beloved do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you we don't want to hear that right we don't want to suffer. I don't think there's anything wrong with not wanting to suffer. It's how we respond to it when God does allow it, right? You know, the Lord Jesus, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, if this cup could pass, but yet not my will, but thy will be done. He understands. There, now, certainly in our humanity, we can also sinfully not want to do what God wants to do, but the reality is we don't want to suffer. But yet in our heart of hearts, we should submit our wills to the Lord, and if it, if it has to be, Lord God, Help me to respond rightly so that you will be glorified. And he says here, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. This, this, this term fiery ordeal really does reflect the reality of what would come upon these believers within six months. Nero would burn down Rome and then he would fiddle as he's burned down. You know the story. And then he would blame Christians for that. And a great persecution of Christians broke out very soon to this time. That's probably what Peter, inspired by the Spirit, is pointing to. But on the other hand, it says the fire deal which, is, which comes upon you, current, present tense. It's happening. Don't be surprised at this ordeal that comes upon you. And that brings it down to real time. That for each and every one of us, there can be difficulties that can come upon us all of a sudden. And we're not to be, as we see here, surprised. The term literally literally means to entertain a stranger. And it came to speak of being startled or, or bewildered. Don't be stunned. What is happening to me? God says, don't do that. Don't do that. You see, we can be blindsided, not understanding that when we obey Christ, there may be suffering that comes upon us within relationships, within situations in our lives. We need to understand that. He says, don't be startled, don't be surprised, don't be astonished. Don't be astonished. Now, in chapter 5, we're going to see when we get there, Lord willing, that after God has allowed it for a little while, just like the suffering for our other brothers, he's going to strengthen, confirm, and perfect us, okay? He's not going to let it continue to the point. He's not breaking us. He's building us up. It's for good, as we'll say. But we are not to be startled or astonished. Why is this happening to me? And that's our temptation, right? Someone starts slandering you or whatever it might be, putting you down for the things you've done in Christ. You've done the right thing. And it's, why is this happening to me? People start treating you wrongly, whatever it might be. We're not to be surprised. We're not to be surprised, you know, because we're to know and understand that we are going to suffer for Christ. We're going to get to this portion a little more in depth in a minute, but I want to point out that the reality is we are going to suffer for Christ. Look at our passage again. 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you or is coming is from you for your testing. We'll look at that in a minute. As though some strange thing were happening to you. What is going on? We're not to be surprised. It's actually not a strange thing for believers, as we're going to see. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ. The reality is he's speaking about suffering for Christ. He's speaking about suffering for obedience to him. He's speaking about suffering for doing what is right. And we've seen that throughout the book of 1 Peter. Remember in chapter 2, they were being slandered for their good deeds in the midst of Gentiles or unbelievers. They're being slandered as evildoers, chapter 2, verse 12. We saw the real possibility in chapter 2, 18 through 20, that someone might suffer under unreasonable master uh, in doing what is right. We see in chapter 2 in the end that we are to follow in the footsteps of Christ who suffered for us, right? Who uttered no threats, didn't return, but he kept entrusting himself, didn't revile and return, kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. We see in chapter 3, verse 9, we are not to return evil for evil or insult for insult. The implication is people are doing evil towards us. We're being insulted. We see in chapter 3, verse 14, if we suffer for the sake of righteousness... We're not to fear their intimidation or be troubled. We saw in chapter 3, 16, we are to keep a good conscience in the thing that we are slandered, that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, chapter 3, 16. Chapter 3, 17, we sh- if God should will it that we suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. Chapter 4, verse 4, when we don't go with those we used to go with before we were saved, they malign us. And so we've seen this reality. We'll see in our passage, chapter 4, verse 13. If you are reviled for the name of Christ. See, not always is suffering being thrown in prison and being dragged out. That certainly can happen. There's no, that's a reality. But the suffering we see more often in Scripture here is this suffering concerning people maligning, insulting, intimidating, all this stuff. Now, it certainly can lead to physical violence and those things, and even even death. certainly did with Christ. Crucify him, right? But the reality is, often it has to do with being slandered, reviled, wronged, insulted, evil brought upon you uh, for doing what is right, for the sake of righteousness. When you abide in Jesus Christ and you obey his word by his power and strength, his spirit working out the life of Christ in you, and you suffer for it, that's the suffering that we're seeing here today. Indeed, we do suffer, and sometimes we suffer for our own sin. Peter will address that later. There's no credit if we endure that. We do suffer in other situations. There's suffering within different trials in this life. There are physical trials. There are other trials, but... When it comes to this, this is suffering for Christ, very specifically. So do not be surprised at the fire deal which comes upon you for a testing as though some strange thing is happening. This is to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ. It's coming because you're following and obeying Christ. That's what this passage is pointing to. That's what we need to remember. And we're not supposed to be surprised We're not supposed to be blindsided by it. We're supposed to be ready and understand, and we'll see specifically what we are to do. We also should understand some of the realities behind what God is doing in this suffering. He is using it, as we've seen, for redemptive opportunities. He uses our response to work in the hearts of those who don't know him, that they might be shamed and repent and believe, that they might... uh, be those who are wanting to know why we have hope and we've prepared our hearts to do that sanctifying christ there are those that might glorify god in the day of visitation because they've had their sins forgiven but god is doing something else in our passage as we'll see concerning suffering and it is one of the main themes of our passage i believe we're going to see that he is proving our faith genuine and he is refining our faith look at our passage again Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. 
as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now this fiery ordeal is coming because of obedience to Christ. Remember that. To the degree you share the sufferings of Christ. Okay? And he's saying, it is coming upon you for your testing. They are the beloved. They're believers. They're not non-believers. It's not, to, it's not to prove that they're not believers. It's proving that they are, as we'll see. And it is refining believers. You see, one element of what God does when he allows things to come our way is to test and refine our faith. Turn to James chapter 1. This is a pretty familiar passage, but it really relays some of the same realities. God is doing good through the difficulties he allows. God is doing good. He is sanctifying us. If it is through difficulty that the righteous is saved, we'll see, I believe, sanctified in that context. If it's through difficulty, what about the the unbeliever? What's going to happen to them? James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The, the, the wording here is, is really reflects a, a ship cruising along and then all of a sudden hitting a reef. All of a sudden you've hit something. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing or proving of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. We see a little farther down in uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been tested or approved, it, it means testing for the sake of approval. Once he has been approved. You know, it's interesting. You don't test, you know, you test things to show that it's genuine, right? And that's what it's talking about. It says, once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God is doing good in trials. He is refining us. He is, he is making us more like Christ. And he is proving us as truly who we are in Christ. Because our faith is more precious than gold or silver, which is perishable. To God it is. Take a look back in 1 Peter. We saw this in chapter 1. In chapter 1, that we are to greatly rejoice in our salvation, even though we're distressed by trials because of what God is doing in it. What God is doing. First Peter 1, verse 6. And I think this really ties together with what we're seeing Peter put a bow on here in chapter 4. First Peter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Obviously, it's the salvation he's just spoken of. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Notice this. Look at verse 7. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire. Don't be surprised at the fire ordeal, right? Tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and, and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What God is doing in us now is going to bring him great glory when Christ is revealed. If we respond rightly. If we respond rightly. He is testing our faith. And notice he says here, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The proof of our faith more precious than gold or silver, which is perishable. We are not to be astonished or blindsided by the temporal reality of suffering in this life when we trust and obey Jesus Christ. But we need to recognize underneath that God is refining us, making us like Christ. He is proving us genuine. He is manifesting genuine faith that will bring him great glory when he comes. You see, when we trust in Jesus, who gets the glory? Jesus does. When we don't trust in Jesus, Jesus doesn't get the glory. But when we trust in him, especially in these trials, so we're not to be surprised knowing what the Lord is doing through them, proving our faith, proving it. Um, but notice, not only are we not to be surprised, in contrast, we are to do something else. Back to 1 Peter uh, 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you uh, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't get off kilter. Don't get shaken. Uh, but to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, here's our second command, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. 
so that, and this matches with what we saw in chapter 1, that the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. Instead of being blindsided by the reality that people will treat you with evil motives and intent because you're following Christ, rejoice. Keep rejoicing. The, the implication is don't stop rejoicing. It's not saying start rejoicing. We should be rejoicing already, but keep rejoicing. Keep rejoicing. You know, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul says, again, I say rejoice. We recognize the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord God gives us a joy in the midst of difficulties if we're walking with him. What's one of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy. When you're truly walking with the Lord, he gives you joy in the midst of that because we recognize who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. He is a good God. We count it joy when we encounter those various trials. We are to, rather than be caught off guard, we are to rejoice. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now, it's not just a fake rejoicing out of nowhere. It comes out of the true reality of what Christ is doing and what he will do in his ultimate plan, which when we see him will be consummated and we will rejoice with joy inexplicable. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, what? On account of me. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. To the degree you share the sufferings of Christ rejoice. Now, did you notice there's a caveat here? We're not to rejoice in suffering when we're not suffering for Christ. Did you know that? Now, we can certainly rejoice in trials when we know that God is working through those. That's one thing. There are different trials, physical trials, whatever it might be, but there is specifically suffering for Christ. And he says here as a caveat, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, back in 1 Peter 4, keep on rejoicing. This means we need to be discerning about our suffering. We need to know when we are suffering for Christ and when we are not. We need to understand when that suffering comes. To the degree, to the level or degree that we recognize we are suffering for Christ. Keep on rejoicing. He says, sharing the sufferings of Christ. The reality is the world hates Christ. And when we abide in Christ, the world hates us. John chapter 15. And to the degree that we suffer to that for Christ, then we are to rejoice. If you're being insulted, if you're being slandered, whatever it might be, you're being treated wrongly because you're obeying Christ to the degree that that is happening, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. It's a command. It's a command. We know that when we suffer for Christ, we know that he is purifying us. He's making us like his son. We know, or making him like himself. And we know that he is also proving our, his, our relation, that we're true, genuine believers. And as we're going to see here in our passage, one of the main themes is that suffering for Christ is an indication you are not going to judgment, but that you are saved. You see, it's a real indication. If you haven't suffered for doing what is right, I would wonder, are you doing what is right? The reality is sometime in following Christ, you're going to be doing what is right. People are going to turn against you in that sense. They're going to cast insults, whatever it might be. And he says here, to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. God is doing good through this. It is very good. He's a gracious, kind, merciful God. You remember what happened with Job. You know the outcome, that God is merciful, he's compassionate, he's good, he's good. But what's being said here is that we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning. We're not to suffer because of sin, and we're not to rejoice in that. If we suffer because we spoke wrongly, we suffer because we sinned, whatever it might be, we suffer because we didn't do our work well or whatever it is, and we are to be discerning. It's not because of Christ. It's not because of Christ. So if you're 
our suffering for things other than him. Certainly there are those things that come upon us, that testing and trials. We understand that. We understand that. And God is using those to make us like Christ. Rejoice in that. Count it joy. But if you're suffering for sin, confess it. Confess it. God's faithful. Whether it's in a family relationship, marriage, church, whether it's at work, confess it. To the degree that you are suffering for Christ, keep on rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, when we obey the Lord, we're going to suffer. And some of you might have lost friends for obeying Christ. Instead of being shocked, keep on rejoicing. The reality is some of you may be slandered for doing what is right. Instead of being shocked, keep on rejoicing. In your family or marriage relationship, you may be maligned or treated badly for your good behavior in Christ. Instead of being shocked, keep on rejoicing. Maybe at work, you have been treated wrongly because you're trusting and obeying the Lord, doing your work heartily unto Him. Don't be shocked, but keep on rejoicing. Whatever it is, to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. We need to be reminded this or we could get in a slump. We could get self-focused. We could get discouraged. We could uh, get our focus pulled off of Christ. So Peter makes it clear in this context that we are to keep on rejoicing and not be surprised. But notice, he also says that our present trials are going to bring great glory to follow. We've got to see the eternal reality. Back to 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, here's our command, keep on rejoicing. Now notice this, so that... There is an eternal reality here. At the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Rejoice now when you suffer for Christ, so that when he comes, you will have exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. Notice that middle of verse 13, so that. Keep on rejoicing, so that. Ultimately, when something happens, as we see here, it's the revelation of the glory of Christ. You may have, you could literally translate it, exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. Rejoice with exceeding joy. Have you ever been joyful? I'm sure we've all had situations that came upon us and we just, just rejoiced in that moment. Something wonderful happened and we just broke out in joy. Right here it's speaking about exceeding joy when Christ comes. You see... When Christ comes, if we have been suffering for him and he has been proving us genuine as his true believers, he has been refining us and making us like him, when that proof of our faith is brought forth, it is more precious than gold or silver, which is perishable. It will bring exceeding joy when Christ comes. And brothers and sisters, Christ is coming again for his church, and he will be revealed in glory. He will gloriously snatch us up for all eternity. We will be changed, and we will see him as he is. We will see him as he is, as the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And at that time, if we have been suffering, how much more we will rejoice. We will rejoice when our faith is proven ultimately in Christ. We will rejoice with exceeding joy. Verse 13, but to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that... At the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. There's that song, Oh Happy Day. I think it's to be more than that, right? The direct implication is our joy right now is related to exceeding joy when Christ comes. Rejoice now. Continue to. And that's exactly what we saw that Peter made clear. And I read this earlier, but I want to go back to verse chapter 1, verse 6. It's the same theme. It's the same theme he brought forth in chapter 1. Look in chapter 1, verse 6 again. In this you greatly rejoice. It's obviously the context of our salvation that we have in Christ, past, present, future. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Verse 7, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, 
glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when our faith is demonstrated, it will bring God glory when Christ comes. He says here, uh, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then if you skip up to verse 13, therefore gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is coming, and what we do now has a bearing on that as believers. Keep on rejoicing so that, so that you'll rejoice with inexpressible joy when he comes, when he comes. Instead of being blindsided, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And we've got to have the word working on our hearts or we're going to get blindsided, aren't we? We're going to forget. When our faith is proven more precious than gold or silver, it will bring praise, honor, and glory to Christ when he comes. Okay, so indeed, suffering for Christ, uh, in the context of suffering for him, we are to not be blindsided, but to rejoice. But also, suffering for him is an evidence of a right relationship. Look at verse 4, 14, not verse 4, verse 14. If you are reviled, there's a picture of that suffering, right? 14, 414. If you are reviled for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We have a statement here that in the Greek construction assumes to be true. If you are involved with Christ, and yes, it is true, you are blessed. Yes, it is. Very straightforward. If you are genuinely suffering for obedience for Christ, you are blessed. Oh, how happy you are. And notice he expands upon the reason. Because... The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You have a genuine relationship with the living God. His spirit is upon your life. And you are suffering for Christ, but God's hand is upon you. You are blessed. Remember we saw in chapter 3, for those who are blessed, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ear is attentive to their prayer. Chapter 3, verse 12. If you're genuinely suffering for Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of of glory and of God rests upon you. God's spirit is upon your life. It's an evidence God is upon your life. It's an evidence you're a true believer walking with the Lord. Jesus said, woe to you if all the world loves you, basically. I'm I'm paraphrasing that. Woe to you if everyone loves you. Something's wrong. In light of the world hating Christ, if everyone loves you, something is wrong. The reality is those who don't know Christ by their sinful, evil nature are going to respond wrongly. And our response is a venue for their salvation, possibly, but also for our purification. God uses those trials. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now, this is in the context of the sharing, to the degree you share the servings of Christ. Some people are reviled in the name of Christ because they're sinning. They're, they're coming out, they're being obnoxious Christians, whatever it is, they're not doing their work or whatever it is, and then someone says, you Christians, that's not what's being t- spoken up here. What is being spoken of is being reviled for walking with the Lord, trusting and obeying him, doing the right thing, and if someone reviles you in that sense, you are blessed because it's an evidence God is upon your life. The spirit of glory in God rests upon you it's 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 remaining when someone's resting it it speaks of a a a stable a stated place rest upon you so then we're not to be blindsided we're to keep on rejoicing so that we would have exceeding joy when he comes and we are blessed because his spirit rests upon us now unfortunately as i mentioned briefly many believers say they're suffering for christ when actually they're not suffering for christ And Peter wants to make sure we don't misunderstand that we think we're suffering for Christ, but we're really not. Look at verse 15. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in that name, let him glorify God. Now, 
in most translations, they don't translate the Greek word gar here, which is translated almost every single time for. And so I, I, he's really expanding upon what he's just said. For by no means let anyone suffer as an as an evildoer. Suffer for Christ, but by no way should you suffer for sin. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be suffering for sin. And he gives a list of these sins here. He says, first of all, we shouldn't suffer as a murderer. Well, that's pretty obvious what that is, right? You know, if you murder somebody, you're going to suffer, right? You're going to suffer the consequences in jail and maybe be put to death, right? Um, If you suffer, you steal, you're going to suffer, right? You are an evildoer. You're going to suffer the consequences for those actions. You're going to suffer. Yes, you will suffer. But God says, don't suffer for this sin. It's interesting, the list he has here, murder. Well, we don't, we're not murdering people. Thieves, we're not, I don't see believers out there, you know, stealing stuff everywhere. Evildoers, I don't see us going out and raking up evil, right? But then notice the last one he adds here. Or a troublesome meddler. Very interesting. The first three, you could probably say, no, he would ever do that stuff. This last one, I think it's a little different. The term troublesome meddler speaks of one who interferes in another man's matters. It speaks of a busybody. It was used to speak of a spy or an informer. Uh, the Young's literal translation translates it this way, and I think it's very accurate. An inspector into other men's matters. You know, if you're suffering because you're poking around in other people's lives, that's not for Christ. That's not for Christ at all. You see, and we have a tendency to uh, be tempted to do stuff like that, even for the name of Christ. You may think you're serving the Lord, but if you're poking into other people's business, he says, by no means suffer for being this way. Don't be this way. The point is, don't suffer for sin, believers. Don't suffer for sin. But if anyone suffers, verse 16, as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed but in that name let him glorify god the point is we in no way are to behave this way we are not to suffer for sin but for christ remember what we saw back in chapter 1 verse 20 look back in chapter 1 verse 20 or chapter 2 verse 20 excuse me for what credit is there If when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. There's no credit if we are sinning as believers and suffering for it. Peter wants to make it clear, this passage about rejoicing has to do with suffering for Christ and not suffering for sin. If we've blown it, if we put our foot in our mouth, whatever it might be, confess it confess it if you've been meddling in other people's business that's not your own we had a whole bunch of that going on by the way if you've been meddling people's business confess it confess it the reality is we are to suffer for christ and if we do suffer notice as he says here if anyone suffers as a verse 16 christian as a christian let him not feel ashamed but in that name glorify God. Here we have the word Christian. And in context, it speaks of one who has been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is one who has trusted in Christ, who has been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Someone who has a relationship with Christ because they've repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. So a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they're not Christians because they don't have Christ in them. A Christian is one who has been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we know from Acts chapter 11, 26 in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Disciples, they are those who have submitted to Christ. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we submit ourselves to a new master. We are willing to obey him. We are his disciples. And we are disciples of Christ. And they called them Christians. Christians. They called them Christians. We are still called Christians now, aren't we? Right? And here he says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, 
Now that's qualified by what we saw before. To the degree you share the sufferings of Christ. You see, Christ suffered for doing what was right, for obeying the Father. And when we obey Him and He lives His life out in us, the world will persecute us. To the degree that happens, keep rejoicing. And here He says, let Him not feel ashamed. If you're suffering for sin, you have a reason to feel ashamed. You should be ashamed. You should confess it. But if you're suffering for Christ, you may be experiencing the stigma of the world and people around you as though you were someone who was bad. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. He says, let him not feel ashamed. But notice in contrast, end of 16, but in that name, that's obviously Christian in Christ, right? In that name, let him glorify God. Give God the glory. Give God the glory. Because if you suffer as a Christian, it is an evidence you're a Christian. Give God the glory. And as we'll see, it's an evidence you're not going to judgment. It's an evidence you're on your way to glory because of Christ. You see, Christ enables us to do what is right in the midst of an evil world. And when that happens and we suffer for it, it is a demonstration of the life of Christ in us. And we are to rejoice, not feel ashamed, and glorify God. This is the opposite to what our flesh wants to do. Our flesh wants to react, respond, get upset, all those things, be shocked. We're to glorify God. Glorify God. But if any of you suffer as a murderer, by no means, excuse me, for by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. And then look at the next portion. There's an ex- there is a, an expansion on this. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty the righteous is saved, what will be the become of the godless man and sinner? Verse 17 begins with the term for or because you could translate it. There are different words for for in Greek. This one you could translate because. Let him glorify God because because it's an evidence you're on your way to glory and not judgment. Glorify God, you have been saved. We, we, we don't thank God enough and give him glory enough for what he saved us from. Glorify God. Four, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey? The thought here is because you are suffering as a Christian, glorify God because as you, as you will see, you're part of his household and you have escaped judgment. You're part of his household. For if time, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. The term household of God speaks of the body of Christ, the church, believers. Turn to 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul is telling Timothy and giving him commands concerning the church, and he says this in 1 Timothy 3.15, But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. There's that phrase, right? Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. It's the church. It's speaking of believers. For if time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? There's a contrast. The church and those who do not obey the gospel. See that? The reality is, if God would allow his precious children that he sent his son to die for to go through this difficulty, a fiery ordeal, if he would allow them to suffer temporarily for the glories to follow, if he would allow that to happen to those that he has saved, he says even the word judgment in a sense, in that sense, what's going to be the outcome for those who reject Christ? Very serious. Very serious. If God would allow his true children to suffer temporarily for good, what's the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel? These are very sobering words if you have rejected Christ so far in your life. If God would allow true believers to suffer, he was willing to do that. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. 
And if it begins with us, he includes himself first, what will be the outcome, the end result for those who do not obey the gospel of God? You know, the gospel is not a suggestion like many people say. God declares to all men everywhere that they should repent. Jesus in in Mark chapter 1 said, repent and believe the gospel. God calls upon everyone he has made to repent of their sin, to turn from sin to Jesus Christ and believe in the truth that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. You need to recognize you need a savior. And you can either obey that by faith or disobey it. And if you disobey it, the end result is going to be horrifying. If God would allow us to suffer, and we do suffer, Paul suffered, Peter suffered, the prophets suffered, we will suffer. Indeed, those who desire to live God, you're going to suffer. We're going to have things said about us that are no good. We're going to suffer for Christ. But yet there's joy in it, by the way. Don't forget that. If God would allow that to happen to us in this temporary reality for the glories to follow, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Let me share uh, a passage. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It speaks about those who don't obey the gospel and actually are persecuting. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. God says, Repent. God says, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, speaking to believers, as only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each of you, each one toward one another grows even greater. Isn't that wonderful? These are true believers. He says, therefore... We speak, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for indeed, which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay those who afflict the, with, the, with affliction those who afflict you. And give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you is believed. What will be the outcome? What will be the outcome? The outcome is judgment. If you reject the gospel, the outcome is a horrifying judgment. One other passage, Hebrews chapter chapter um, 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. He just talked about that we should not be forsaking assembling together. You know, there should be a desire to be with one another. We should be uh, considering how to stimulate one another in love and good deeds. And he says, therefore, if we go on sinning willfully, Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If God would allow us to suffer now, what's the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? It's very serious. It's very serious. Notice back in our passage, there's a parallel statement in verse 18. And if it is with difficulty, the righteous is saved. 
What will become what will become of the godless man and sinner? Now, it's interesting. He's not talking about the righteous man being saved initially. When we think of salvation, we often think of it as the day I was saved, and that's true. But salvation is really laid forth in, in, in three areas in Scripture. One, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are saved. But then we are sanctified. We are being saved. And, and when we are glorified, we're going to be saved. We see three elements of that. And he says the righteous here, so I believe those are those who are already saved. So he says here, if it is with difficulty the righteous is saved, I believe he's speaking of sanctification. If it is with difficulty that we are being made like Christ through fiery ordeals, what will be the outcome for the godless man and sinner? Pretty serious. Pretty serious. If God allows these ordeals to refine us, make us like Christ, what about those? who have rejected Christ. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are a godless person and you are a sinner in need of a Savior and God calls upon you to repent. He, he offers the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ. Acknowledge your sin. Humble yourself like a child. Just admit it, what God says, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever will call upon him will be saved. But in contrast, brother and sister, the thought here is, if you suffer as a Christian, in that name, glorify God. Why? Because you are not going to judgment. Yes, it is difficult because, for, right? If time is to begin with us, what will be the outcome? Glorify God. He has saved you from his wrath. Glorify God. It is an evidence that you are his. It's an evidence. Notice, let's finish up with the last verse here. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Here's where it all comes down. Yes, we are to rejoice. We're not to be surprised, all those things. But it all comes down to this therefore. Therefore, give over your soul to a faithful creator. God is the creator. He is the God of the universe. And he's faithful to his word. These trials are temporary. There are the glories to follow. You will rejoice with exaltation when Christ come. Give over your soul to him. Continually, habitually, trust. Trust. What are we to do in trials when people are treating you wrongly, you're blindsided? Trust the Lord. Lord, I trust you. You're going to work it out. You're going to work it out for your glory. And I can rejoice in that. And notice he explains how we are to entrust in doing what is right. You see, when we suffer according to the will of God, when God so wills it, we saw back in chapter 3, if God should will that you suffer. God wills at times allowing those to speak wrongly against us. He uses it for many purposes. One, that we might resemble Christ in the midst of a dead world, that they might be saved. But secondly, to refine us and make us like Christ, and third, to prove that we are his. If you suffer according to his will, also trust your soul to a faithful creator. It's exactly what we saw with Jesus. Remember back in chapter 2? Our perfect example. Look at verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, Chapter 2, verse 23, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Brothers and sisters, don't be surprised. If you're following Christ and you suffer for it, but keep on rejoicing, keep on rejoicing. Know that you're blessed because God's hand is upon you. His spirit of glory and grace rests upon you. Don't suffer for sin. But if you suffer as a Christian, to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Recognize he has saved you from eternal damnation. It is a evidence that you are his. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls 
to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Leave it in the hands of a faithful God. Trust him. Leave it in his hands. Rejoice because of what he's truly doing. He's using the suffering to save people. He's refining you. And he's proving you're his. And it will all bring Jesus glory when he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And although it seems like a long passage, it's very straightforward. If we suffer for your son, we are to keep on rejoicing. Because your hand is upon our lives. And you've willed it for your glory and for our good. Father, I pray for those of us who are true believers that we would not be surprised when things come upon us, that we would rejoice, that we would glorify you, that we would trust you. We just remember that, to rejoice and give you glory and trust you because you are good. Pray for anyone here who has not obeyed the gospel. If you are willing to allow us to suffer greatly for our good, what will you do to those who reject your son? Your word reveals it's very serious. It's terrifying. I pray that they would be scared to death and turn to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, thank you for your son who brings that forgiveness. May he receive all the glory. In Jesus' name.